Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mackerel Podcast. We're here today to talk about the topic of no-fault divorce and what this means to families. Now, this has been considered one of the biggest shake-ups in family law in the last 50 years. It's been widely welcomed by politicians and families, but what exactly does it mean? I'm joined today by Jim Richards and Manisha Hachan of our family team. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Chris. Hello there. Hello there. So, on that topic and on that question, what does it all mean? So, Chris, um, we're talking about the Divorce, Disillusion and Separation Bill. It's been on hold for a little while, I'm assuming because of Brexit, but it's now back in the headlines and making its way through Parliament. So, in relation to why the tagline is commonly just um, called no-fault divorce is because the bill reforms our divorce processes and procedures so that people wanting to get a divorce no longer have to blame the other or take the blame or wait a period of years before they can just divorce um, with consent. So if we start with what the divorce process is like now, Jim, I don't know if you just want to run through what someone generally would have to do. Or the current position. Yeah. It's relatively straightforward. Um, One party elects um, to start the process and they're called the petitioner and they have to file a divorce petition based on the irretrievable breakdown evidenced by one of five facts. Now, three of those require being apart for two or more uh, years, and the remaining two are what's known as the fault base. So that comprises of adultery and unreasonable behaviour. Um, and the problem here is that if people want to get divorced quickly, they have no choice but to file a petition based on adultery or behaviour, that being the adultery or behaviour of the other party, not themselves. And often uh, adultery hasn't taken place, although it may have, uh, and that leaves really the only fact uh, being the unreasonable behaviour of the spouse. Now, the popular perceived wisdom is that badly drafted divorce petitions citing um, examples of unreasonable behaviour, which are the initiating stage of a, um, of a process which may move on to cover finances and children, if you start badly, then you end worse. So the thinking behind um, the change is that rather than have this process which hasn't changed since, what, 1973 and is very um, very much rooted in um, the language of possibly 19th century English law with decree nisis and decree absolutes and petitioners and respondents and so forth, that you have something which is more up-to-date, more modern, less jargon-based um, and, <coughs> crucially, avoids the need to uh, blame. Exactly. So the bill that's going through Parliament right now, its objective is to bring the English divorce system, I suppose, in line with modern society or in line with our European counterparts. Um, as most European countries and obviously countries around the world do already have a no-fault divorce-based system. So if we look at what the proposed changes um, are, I think the main one that we're talking about today is the fact that the requirement to provide um, blame or evidence of conduct of the other party will no longer be required. Um, But instead of that, there will need to be a statement of irretrievable breakdown 
and then no further evidence is needed from the court. So whatever goes into that statement is taken at face value, um, and that's all a court will need. So in a way, yes, that streamlines the process, but in, in another way, the other party, if they are dissatisfied with what's in the <coughs> other person's statement, really won't be able to challenge it. Yeah, and I mean, that's I another think, change. I, I think this is... Um, it remains to be seen how this works in practice because knowing that the current system can, even if it's fault-based, be um, used in a way which avoids the worst excesses of drafting and citing behaviour and over-egging the pudding and drafting a six-page statement of case which you know rarely has to happen these days and, and few few people actually do that mm. um, the move towards the system in which essentially you write something this statement and it can't be challenged or or in any way um, have any recourse over the content I'm not sure that in the wrong hands that couldn't lead to something which is potentially worse than the current system it would be very um, very much a paradox if in endeavouring to simplify and avoid um, controversy and confrontation and so forth, you create a procedural framework which actually enables one party or gives them carte blanche to say what they like and that not be challenged. So I'm keen to see how this plays out in practice and I hope that it won't be um, something which is used in this way, but I fear it could be. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. I think we will just have to see how that plays out in practice because clearly with the regime we have now, divorces can be contested or even if they're not contested, you will have respondents who will file a statement with their acknowledgement of service setting out why they don't agree with what the petitioner has put um, in their divorce petition. <coughs> now that statement just sits on the court file but it's there on record and it's a way of the other party um, being able to say, okay, well, look, I don't challenge this divorce. I also want a divorce, but I don't really agree with what you've said about me in your petition. However, I'm not going to officially defend it. But under the new regime, even that doesn't seem possible. Mm. I mean, the devil's in the detail, isn't it? I mean, mm. one thing I've certainly found in practice is that the things which seem quite neutral and anodyne to me can very easily cause offence to someone else. And yeah. currently, I mean, what we, we try to do is send a, a draft divorce petition to the other party and or their solicitor before we send it to the court. And if there is something which is um, annoying or which one party feels strongly shouldn't be in the draft petition, then we take it out, provided we've still got enough information to prove the case. Now, certainly in the last couple of years since the case of Owens um, was decided, uh, many practitioners have, I think, perhaps gone back to drafting divorce petitions which are more comprehensive in their allegations mm. because that case was um, one in which it was very much against the tide of the way practitioners were dealing with cases, but it said very clearly that actually behaviour has to be objectively um, uh, unreasonable uh, and you can't just put anything and expect a court to rubber stamp it. So we kind of took two steps backwards I think in that situation um, which has led I think to these developments although no court divorce has been discussed for many years but I'm I have I think for me it's wait and see let's hope that this is something which doesn't lead to I don't know a party 
filing an online divorce with a statement which is little more than a partisan rant and which can't be challenged, you can see very, very clearly how the proposals could, in the wrong hands and with online divorce, lead to something which is possibly worse than what we have now. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I think really when the new regime comes in, yes, it's meant to streamline the process, make it easier, take the concept of blame out of wanting to get a divorce. Um, there are positives there, but people will still need the benefit of legal advice from yeah, family law specialists in order to navigate exactly what that means, um, how to do it right, so that we do hopefully help people avoid the area of conflict that you're talking about that could potentially arise. Um, and, you know, hopefully it, it is a positive overall, but we'll just have to have to see how that plays out in practice. But if we do focus on some of the positives, I mean, you know, the main thing is people will not have to sit there and sometimes make up things about, you know, the other party, uh, or they've sat there and had a discussion and said, well, one of us needs to take the blame, so, you know, what, what do we say? So, you know, the whole sort of... Um, there was a degree of sort of pantomime yeah, about some of the know, rules particulars exactly. that you were having to create something which was offensive yeah. or falsely unreasonable. I mean, my, my view is more of a pragmatic one, and I've often said to clients that, you know, if after being married for a period of time you can't come up with five or six examples of how even you yourself have been unreasonable, well then you know, you're, you're living a, a, mm. a saintly life and most people don't live saintly lives. So, I mean, the, for some time, up until Owens possibly, it was a very low hurdle that you needed to leap over. And my experience was that few clients I acted for were unduly concerned about having to take responsibility. Or if they were, when it was explained to them, um, they were understanding of the, the, the need to do this. It was just there was a growing sense that this is a slight, you know, farce that we're yeah. going through. Yeah. And perhaps the the new law will have the, the fundamental advantage of saying we no longer have to engage in this pantomime villainy mm. in order to get divorced because it's accepted now that marriages simply come to an end because they come to an end. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there there will be the option of jointly starting a yeah, divorce absolutely. under the new regime and I think Which that is seems a bit weird to me yeah but then... I know but I suppose um you know it is meant to bring our divorce system in line with modern times and modern society uh and two people who have come to the joint decision that you know their marriage is over <clears throat> and they want to dissolve it you know why shouldn't they have the yeah, option of, yeah. of jointly um a, having control of that process in an equal way, but not having one person being called, you know, a petitioner and the yeah. other, the respondent. And those terms are also going to change. Um, so I think, you know, we will just, um, I think we'll have applicant um, and decree absolute may be replaced with final order. Yeah, why not? I mean... Yeah. I think most people know what decree absolute is, but yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, a final law. I, they've changed phraseology mm. in in other areas, and I'm not sure it's made a profound difference. But I don't feel strongly about that. I don't feel honest. strongly about the term terminology either. Um, we all did get used to decree absolute, yeah. so you know, whatever sure. terms you use, after yeah. a while, people will become accustomed to them. Yeah, they'll be normalised. So, you know, there are many, many positives to this, and clearly, government feels that um, it is time to focus on family laws in a in a you know a more 
productive and realistic way. But overall, as I said before, you know, it, it is a, a positive step in the right direction in terms of reform. But it doesn't mean, in my view, that a litigant in person um, will be able to simply just pick this up and navigate it themselves. Because this, coupled with the online divorce process, which again is meant to make things easier, does often throw up um, hurdles for people who are trying to do this themselves. Yeah, I mean, I suppose from our perspective, we've been doing this for quite a while. Mm. And it does seem very straightforward and simple and so on. But... Um, it's only when you see that it can be done very badly that you realise there is a little bit more to it than simply filling out a series of tick boxes. I don't think it's yet reached that point. No. But, yeah, um, I think it, it could be something which, if done badly, will um, will just bring with it lots of issues, just as the old system did. Yeah. And equally, if it's done well, um, it will probably, well, hopefully, lead to a slicker, um, less problematic, less blameworthy culture within um, within family law. Um, I very much hope, though, that it's accompanied by a review of other areas, my bugbear of the, the lack of comprehensive support for cohabitants, for example. Yeah, of course. Um, if this is the only activity we see in terms of divorce or family law reform or relationship re- um, reform in the next parliament, I think I'd end up being very disappointed. Yeah, I think you'll find that Parliament will make its way onto cohabitation. Well, laws, I very much hope so. If they do, it's about bloody time. <laughs> and I don't say that because I know any, I don't have any yeah, inside information. Oh, really? But I just feel that, you know, we're in 2020. Yeah. We've just absolutely. got over Brexit, and Parliament, you know, on the 7th of January have said, well, let's have the first reading of, you know, the divorce bill. It, you know, it kind of suggests that they are going to focus well, more on our family. Fingers crossed. Mm. Fingers crossed. And as always, um, we offer free half an hour consultation. So if anyone um, has had their interest piqued by this new reform and just wants to find out a bit more, then please feel free to drop us a line um, and we can discuss it in more detail. Thank you. Jim, Manisha, as always, thank you very much for your inputs. Um, we will, of course, be bringing some written content to back that up um, and bringing you up to speed as and when developments occur, both on this topic and, as as Jim says, hopefully others that will be considered by government in the future. More information available on our website, www.mackerel.com, and stay tuned for our next edition soon.